Don't take that to the bank. Genesis chapter 32. Genesis chapter 32. I want to ask you to do me one favor tonight. I know this is Wednesday night church, you know, but Wednesday night's usually nights, I, I mean, it's usually the night that I preach the hardest in student ministry. So, you know, I, I'm sorry if I step on your toes or I mess up your status quo. You know, I'm, I'm not really into all that tonight. I want you to do me a favor. Stand up on your feet right quick. Genesis chapter 32. Title of tonight's message. I hope you'll take notes. I guarantee the Holy Spirit will say something you'll definitely want to remember. I promise you that. Genesis chapter 32. We're going to begin reading in verse 22. We're just going to read 10 short verses of Scripture. And then we're going to ask God's blessing over tonight's word. Father, in the name of Jesus. I ask you to open this word. Genesis 32 and 22. That night Jacob got up and he took his two wives, his two maidservants, and his 11 sons, and he crossed the fords of the Jabbok. After he sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions, so Jacob was left alone. I need you to take a pencil, a pen, a highlighter, something, and I want you to mark. Jacob was left alone. So Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until daybreak. And when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Lord, let me go for the daybreaks. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go until you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? He said, my name is Jacob. Then the man said to him, no longer shall your name be called Jacob, but you shall be called Israel because you have struggled with God and with men and you have overcome or you have prevailed. I want you to take a pencil or a highlighter or a pen and I want you to underline prevailed or overcome in your Bible. Verse 29, Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of this place Peniel. Underline that word, Peniel. Underline it, highlight it, do something that's going to be important. So Jacob called the name of that place Peniel, and he said, Because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed through Peniel. He was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip because of the socket of Jacob's hip that was touched near the tendon. Father, we've simply read 10 passages of Scripture out of the book of Genesis concerning the like of Jacob. Father, I ask tonight that every person would take responsibility for their own heart. You said that the Word of God was seed to the sower and that, God, your Word was an incorruptible seed. So, God, I'm not asking for your blessing over the Word tonight. I'm asking, God, that every person would take responsibility by being introspective. And, God, that they would inspect the ground of their hearts. And that right now, anything, God, anything that's not of you, anything that doesn't pertain to this Word, that doesn't pertain to this service, God, that they would dispel from their life, that they would take the authority given to them in Jesus to bring every thought captive, to set their minds on things above, prepare their heart as good ground, and God, that the good seed of your word would be sown therein. And God, I trust you. You said some sow and some water, but only you would give the increase. God, I asked you tonight to bring increase, that of 30, that of 60, and that of 100 fold. God, not to my glory, not to any man's glory, not to any man's reputation, but God, that you would be glorified, that your people would be edified, and that God, all of hell would be terrified 
of what you're about to do in these people's lives tonight that's going to make a difference tomorrow and is going to make a difference next week in their service to you here at this ministry bringing revival in this community in Jesus name I pray in Jesus name I pray in Jesus name I pray amen you may be seated I want to speak to you tonight on the subject of death burial and resurrection very simple I hope you'll take notes I want to speak to you tonight on the subject of death burial and resurrection death burial and resurrection but before we go any further tonight I want you to take your Bibles I want you to turn your Bibles back over to Genesis chapter 32 and verse 1 I want to share something with you that if you're like me and 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 the Word of God's more important to you you know a great man said to me one time he said son there's the Word of God and then there's everything else there's the word of God now you can chew on that for the rest of your life I've been chewing on that for eight or nine years there's the word of God and then there's everything else but let me tell you something about the word of God I, I get a little frustrated with Christians that don't bring their Bibles to church you know I think Pastor Shane probably got this from you Pastor Hank where he said coming to church without a Bible is like eating spaghetti without a fork you get a whole lot all over you but you don't get much in you I get a little frustrated with Christians who don't bring their Bibles to church I get a little frustrated with Christians who, who take their Bibles and, and they idolize them. And, you know, there's, there's only one thing worse than a nation that doesn't have Bibles. You know, it's a travesty for a nation to be under Sharia law or to be under uh, some kind of spell of demonic possession where they don't even have Bibles, they don't read Bibles. You know, that's a travesty. That's terrible. But there's one nation worse than a nation that doesn't have Bibles. And that's a nation that has Bibles and doesn't use them. The nations that don't have them, we just got back from Russia a few months ago. Believe me, they fought like hell to get them. They were printing them in brigades with washing machine motors and homemade presses. Children in the youth groups were expected to serve three-month terms in barns where they were hand-stitching Bibles together. I read a book called Wild Children Slept. You ought to check it out. It's an incredible book. Read it on the way to Russia to meet the bishops and the general overseers of the Assemblies of God, of the Church of God over the country. I read this book. I said, I'm going to meet modern-day apostles. I got there, and the first thing I said when they took me in their office is, show me one of those Bibles. Validate that the stories are true. Do you know the first thing the man did? He turned around, and he walked over to, to a cabinet, and he opened a drawer, and there was a Bible about this big. Handmade uncut pages hand stitched together printed off a washing machine motor because the country didn't have bibles and there were some christians that said secretly we'll risk our lives we'll print bibles we'll sneak them into churches and we'll leave them under the front pew and we'll ease out and we'll never tell anybody because we don't want anybody to know who we are because it will endanger us of being caught and then i come to america and we're so spiritually fat and so spiritually lethargic and in apathy pastors get in the pulpit and preach more incredible words than we could devour in six weeks it's easier to preach ten sermons than it is to live one I get a little I get a little mad at Christians who who take these Bibles and they say oh man I can't write in this thing I can't write in this thing I can't highlight and then I say you ought to put that thing in a glass case somewhere and just just 
just get down and just worship that thing and let me tell you you're going to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit and you know what he's going to say he's going to tell you what Jesus said he, he said you search them because you think that in them in the scriptures you have life but they are which speak of me the word of God doesn't contain God it reveals God we read the word of God so that we would know and comprehend the mind the will and the heart of God in the earth so that when we're confronted with a situation we say this is the mind of God well, how do you know that's the mind of God? Because I study the mind of God. I devour the mind of God. I saturate and permeate myself with the will of God by studying his word. So I hope tonight, with that being said, you would not only take notes, but you would not only bring your Bibles to church in the future, but that you would understand the great importance and the great sacrifice that many men had paid just for you to have possession of this book that we all too often never even use today. This isn't God, but it reveals God. So if you want to know what God says, people said, I need a word. I said, brother, you got 66 books a word. How you doing on that? How's that working out for you? need a word I need to chase somebody I need to get a word from God Genesis chapter 32 verse 1 I did this on purpose Genesis 32 and 1 says this Jacob also went on his way and the angels of God met him when Jacob saw them he said this is the camp of God so he called the name of that place Mahanaim how many times you ever heard somebody preach on Mahanaim? You know why? Because I can say like the Apostle Paul, the gospel I received, I didn't get from a man. I learned it at the feet of Jesus on the backside of a desert. I'm not against Bible college. I'm not against higher education. But what I'm telling you, you got to walk in revelation by the Spirit of Almighty God. you got to have God speak. I'm not... The Bible says that we live by every word that precedeth present tense today. I'm not living off what God said to me yesterday. I met you yesterday. You were going through some stuff yesterday. If I was to ask you a question and you were to be honest before all these people, have you heard the voice of God today about your situation? Can I tell you why you haven't? Because your own hard heart. The Bible says that the voice of the Lord is upon the trees. The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The thoughts of the Lord is so innumerable that he thinks towards you in the count of one day you could never recount them back to him. There's not a problem with his speaking. There's a problem with our hearing. He said, this is the camp of God. This is the camp of God. The angels met me here. This is Mehanaim. Do you know what it means in Hebrew? It means the place of two camps. Do you understand that tonight, this is Mehanaim? This is Mehanaim. Won't you just prophesy that over this service? Won't you just prophesy that over your own life? This is Mehanaim. Just, I mean, hey, man, I'll make them turn some worship music on, and we can just run around, do jumping jacks for 30, 45 minutes till we wake this thing up. Because I'm telling you, I won't go nowhere till the anointing breaks. This is Mahanaim. Say that. This is Mahanaim. 
This is the place of two camps. This is the camp of God. The angels of God will meet me at Church of the Harvest tonight. And you say, how do I know that? Because in Corinthians, he said, the woman's got to keep her head covered because the angels are looking into your services. You believe that? You believe the angels were looking into this service tonight? It's what the scriptures say. Jacob said, I was on my way, and all of a sudden I encountered the angels of God. He said, this is the camp of God. This is Mahanaim. This is the place of two camps. If God's here, unpack your bags, baby, and pitch a tent. We're staying here too. It's a place of two camps. This is the camp of God, and this is now my camp. This is the camp of men. This is Mahanaim. God is here tonight. If two be gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst. That's what he said. Bible says every word's got to be proven by the mouth of two if not three witnesses Jesus would never just show up and say if two be gathered together there I'll be in the midst unless he already knew that that was scripturally validated and so you can find that principle all throughout the Bible that's not that's not a doctrine built off obscure text that's God promising you that when you get together the angels going to show up the presence of God is going to show up and everything you need is in the presence of God for in the presence of God is fullness of joy. And at my right hand are pleasures forevermore. So let me just ask you, did you come in here needing anything tonight? Just go ahead and be honest. Did you come in here needing anything tonight? Just raise your hand. Did you come in here needing anything? Absolutely. Now you know we, every one of us just indicted ourselves. Ephesians 1 and 3 and says this, Blessed be the God and Father of my Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us, past tense, with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That means that everything God could give you out of heaven resources, out of heaven's resources, he's already given to you in Christ. That means that there's no janitor closet in heaven that God's waiting on you to die and to get there for him to break out some special stuff and say, oh man, I've been keeping this. I was holding this back. I didn't give this to you when you was down there. Woo, I got some stuff in here you ain't never even seen. But that's how we think about heaven. We think, oh man, God, it's going to be different. What's going to be different? What? I've given to you every spiritual blessing in where? Not in there. In heavenly places. When I gave you Christ Jesus, were you in Christ today? Did you turn out the voice of the world and hear the voice of God? Were you pulling down out of heaven the resource? He said, thy kingdom come on earth. This is a divine meeting place between heaven and earth tonight. No, it's not just this altar. This is the divine meeting place between heaven and earth. That means that we are releasing the kingdom of God from within us to everyone we come into contact with. You're an ark. You are a divine carrier of the presence of almighty God. Almighty God. He said, no longer shall I dwell in temples made by hands. You are my temple. You are the meeting place between heaven and earth. And out of heaven's resources will flow out of you and meet the needs. I was in Russia. I said, how are you growing the church? He said, it's easy. God gave the church for one reason, to meet the needs of the people. What are the needs of the people? Do they need clothes? Then we take them clothes. 44 of them show up to church on Sunday. 
He said, what are the needs? They need food. We take them food. Twelve of them show up Wednesday. But do you see yourself that way? Do you see yourself as beat down, rejected, has been, left out, looked over, less than, insecure, insignificant, and insufficient? Well, if you do, then let me tell you something. You don't have a revelation of who you are in Jesus. Paul said something in Ephesians 3.19. He said that you would know God. That you would know God. That you would know God. Past your ability to normally and naturally comprehend. He said that you would know the love of God. That you would know the love of God, which is past your ability to comprehend it. So that all the fullness of God. Holy Spirit. There's only two scriptures in the New Testament where the scriptures say the fullness of God. Do you remember where it says the fullness of God dwelt in Jesus bodily? Do you know the only other time that phrase is mentioned in the New Testament is not in Jesus. It's in you as a believer. It said that you would know the love of God which passes knowledge. It passes your comprehension. It passes your ability to know something. That you would know the love of God so that all the fullness of God would dwell in you bodily. It's not, oh, I know God. Oh, I know Jesus. I said that prayer when I was 12. I've been going to church, paying my tithe, supporting Pastor Hank. Do you know him today? Did you hear his voice today? Do you have direction for your life today? Did you hear the words proceeding out of his mouth today? When your feet hit the ground in youth service, when Eddie came in, he said the church was on fire and the Holy Ghost too. You should have been there when I prayed through. Church was on fire. I know all that. I know how to jump, how to shout. Man, I did a huck and buck when T.L. Lowry, I had, they never let me live that down. They videotaped it. They show it on the big screens. They showed it at the extreme last night. I know how to do all that. I'm not against any of that. But let me tell you something. When your feet hit the ground on Monday, can you live for Jesus? Do you have a spine that allows you to stand for integrity? When somebody asks you to go to lunch and you're not eating brisket or steak and they're eating your pastor or your youth pastor, do you have the integrity to say, touch not God's anointing and do his prophet no harm? You shut your mouth. Well, he ain't perfect, and you ain't neither. And if our church was perfect, you couldn't come here. When you find that perfect church, carry your butt there. If you're looking for a show, then get on, because we ain't about a show. We about him showing himself. <laughs> Death, burial, and resurrection. There's a problem that plagues all humanity. Let me just be honest. Every one of you, according to James, you have thoughts. He said, where do the wars come from in your life? Where, where, do the, where does the strife come from? He said, it comes from your own desire to get high, from your own desire to have sex, from your own desire. You lust and you want and you kill and you murder and you still don't have. I got to be paid. I got to have bank. I got to have big wheels on my car. I got to have a reputation. I got to have her. I got to have him. There's all start with, they all start with thoughts. 
The thoughts eventually, the more you ponder on them, lead to actions. The actions become habits, and habit makes up your character, and character makes up your lifestyle. There's a problem, a universal problem that plagues all humanity. It's a three-letter word, and the church is afraid to say it today. Sin. This is what we want. Oh, son, I know you're struggling. It's going to be okay. I tell you what, just come to Bible study and be at church it's going to be alright when what you need is somebody to tell you you are going to hell if you don't get your life right if you don't surrender to the call of God on your life get filled with the Holy Spirit and learn to live in victory the devil is going to kill you his ministry is to kill steal and destroy can't nobody sugarcoat that can't nobody water that down that is what God said he came to do and if somebody will tell you about that, let me tell you what I found out. You will just, it's something crazy. If people start speaking high over your life, I see you as a prophet of God. I see you speaking the things of God. I see you raise, whoa, you get a little crazy. Man, I'm a man of God. You start growing up into that. It's crazy. It's a problem, sin. It's a universal problem. It plagues all humanity. But let me tell you today, if you go down to the bookstore, you're going to walk past 12 books that are based on self-help programs. 14 steps to a new you. 21 steps to an improved life. I'm not dogging anybody and I'm not getting on to anybody. I'm just telling you that Proverbs 20 and 31 says this. There is no wisdom, there is no counsel, and there is no understanding against that of the Lord. And if God has said, this is how I have chosen to deal with the problem of sin that has plagued all humanity, it don't matter what any pastor writes, it don't matter what any author writes, it don't matter what any, any, any uh, elder writes, it don't matter what nobody writes. If God said, this is how sin has to be dealt with, it can't nobody ever change it. And you say, well, young preachers, show me from the scriptures how God dealt with sin. Gladly, I'm so glad you asked. So glad we're getting somewhere. You feel it breaking? You don't feel so uptight now, right? I mean, man, you're amongst friends. I know you've been out there in the world. People been chopping on you all day, talking bad, putting you down. You're amongst friends. And if you're talking bad about each other in the church, let me tell you, he said, six things does the Lord hate, and the last one is them that sow discord among the brothers. Stop talking about each other. Start speaking over each other. Loosen up. We came here for Mahanaim. We came tonight to encounter God. Not some young preacher. Not some nothing. We came for Jesus. We came to be built up and restored for what the world's tearing down. The church exists to meet the needs of the people. I know I got ADD. It works real good for preaching. You're getting it though, ain't you? God said, this is how I've chosen to deal with the problem of sin. death burial and resurrection sin creeped into humanity doesn't matter what you want to call it can my wife's gonna kill me for this when, when, praise god when i say sin what's the first thing comes to you i i can't use you you was there last night they asked me to preach my testimony last night so when i say sin what's the first thing just give me one example drinking drinking I'm going to well, tell them I said hello. Put them on speakerphone. They probably need Jesus too. When I say sin, 
You're going to say drinking, having sex outside of marriage, doing drugs, lying, all that stuff. But can I, let me just help you out on something. You know sin's not even a church term. Sin's not even a theological term. They didn't develop that at Lee or at Evangel. Sin is an archer's term. Preaching a series right now. I know I'm your spiritual grandson. I'm getting all them fresh ideas from Shane, but I got to tweak them. He said he wanted to do tree stand trophies. I said, I'm going to get my bow and arrow, and I'm going to preach on don't miss your mark. Don't sin. When an archer would pull back and shoot for the mark or the bullseye, when he would shoot and miss, they would say, you, you sinned. Listen, we got all kind of definitions of sin, but in the eyes of God, he that has yet kept the law and stumbled in one point is guilty of the law because in the eyes of God, sin is simply missing the mark. And it don't matter if you've done good over everything and you just barely get off. In God's eyes, he's not up there saying, well, you didn't smoke, you didn't drink, but you did have... He, that's not... Listen... Who has understood the mind of the Lord? Who has given him count? We don't, his thoughts are high above our thoughts, but we have the mind of Christ. The Holy Spirit can enlighten us on some of the things that God is thinking towards us. The archer shoots, he misses the mark. He sinned. When you miss the mark in your life, you sin. You don't live up to the potential. Let me just help you another one. It's going to blow you away. When the early church fathers would go to would-be Christians and they would try to convert them and bring them into the faith, they would first have to describe that there's a problem. The problem is God's expecting you to live up. God, God has a standard. God, and you know, that still don't work today. You get, and so they would say, you're not, you're not, you're sinning. You're not hitting the bullseye. You're missing the mark. God has a potential and a standard for your life, and you're not getting it. And so when sin crept into humanity, what's Romans 5 say? Sin entered the world through one man, Adam, and then sin, thus death, spread to all. Sin entered the world. Separated God from humanity. If you want to figure out how to if you want to figure out how to deal with sin, you need no you need to look further than the cross. God said, I will prepare a body for myself. And I will go and I will die and I will be buried and I will be resurrected. Let me just help you. God's principle is death and its burial and its resurrecting and its resurrection. It's proven in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's how God deals with sin. Let me just make it plain. If there's sin in any of your lives, you've been talking about the preachers, you've been stealing at work, you've been sneaking around using drugs, you've been lying, you've been stealing money, whatever's going on, backbiting your friend, your sister, not being supportive, God's got a principle. Death, burial, and then resurrection. You gotta die to that sin. That sin's gotta be buried in a tomb. And then by the power of the Holy Spirit, you've got an experience of resurrection. Share a little bit of my story with you tonight. I'm going to just hit the high spots. Came from a broken home, a broken family. Have one half-sister, had three stepbrothers. 16 years old, my stepfather beat my mother to an oblivion in front of my sister and I. This didn't just happen one time. It's the one time that I'm choosing to tell you about. 
This one particular time, he sat on my mother. He pinned her in a corner, and with his wedding ring, he crushed the left side of my mother's face. Her eyebrow bone, he broke off of her skull, her nose, her cheekbone. And he beat her until she was unconscious. Finally, something snapped. He got off over my sister and I got my mom up. We run out of the back of the house trying to get down to a friend who had a pickup truck waiting to pick us up. My mom said, if, he, if, if I fall, you keep running. Eight years old. Sixteen years old, my mom finally decides to leave. This is my stepdad. I wish she would have left years ago. I don't blame her for that. Sixteen years old, she leaves. 16 years old, I've got no parental supervision. I spend every night of my life in a honky-tonk. My stepfather doesn't have a driver's license. He's had more DWIs than the law even allows. But his family comes for money, and he keeps buying his way out of My mom's gone. He's depressed, wants his wife to come back home. I'm 16. i got a driver's license. You can't beat me on a pool table. I spend every night in a honky-tonk. I was a chauffeur. By the time I was 19 years old... Smoking, drinking, having sex, smoking marijuana, snorting cocaine, and shooting methamphetamines with a needle. 16 years old, when my mom left, I went to a party in Shreveport, larger city where I grew up. Drive-by shooting happens. Car pulls out. Some guys from the other side of the neighborhood my friends didn't like. They pull out guns. They shoot a guy from Carolina High School in the back of the head. Kill him, 19 years old. Girl gets out of the car screaming, Oh, my God, you killed him. And like they was playing a Nintendo game, they started shooting until they finally hit her. 80-year-old woman has a massive heart attack and dies. This is in middle-class American neighborhood. This isn't the ghetto. This isn't the hood. Lady dies, 19-year-old boy killed, and a girl shot in her leg, blew her kneecap off, 16 years old. 19 years old, I'm hanging with the same crew. Mom's not in my life. Dad's not in my life. I'm doing my own thing. I'm wide open using drugs. I'm in a motel room. Some guys come in. Drug deal goes down. Drug deal turns bad. They start running out of the hotel room. I'm trying to prove myself. I reach and grab a pillowcase off a bed, and I grab a guy with a pillowcase, and I drag him back in the hotel room. My friends lock the door. I sit down on his face. I twisted the pillowcase as tight as I could twist it, and I pinned it between my knees, and I started unloading on him to prove myself to these guys broke his nose they broke his ribs five ten minutes later we're kicking him get up get up his friends run off and left him he can't move we get the bright idea we're gonna throw him in the back of a car drive him down the road throw him out friend of mine the next morning cuts his throat we leave him for dead three months later i get picked up for possession of schedule two i walked on the murder charge i beat it 72 days later i walked on the murder charge 72 days later I'm dealing cocaine to a girl that I went to high school with. Cops pull me over, bust me. 22 years old, two-time convicted felon. One-time violent for murder, pled out to kidnapping. Convicted of both. Yeah, me. 23 years old. Absolute, complete drug addict. Cocaine, methamphetamines, IV addict. Arm looks like a pincushion told every lie, run every game, run every scam, con. Nobody in my family trusted me. Nobody believed me. Burn every bridge. I go home for Thanksgiving because my mom wanted me home. I stole my car that they had bought me before. Stole money. Go on a three-day drug spree. 23 years old. I'm sitting in jail. Three-time convicted felon. 
two-time violent offender. I got a murder charge. I pled out to a kidnapping. I've got possession of Schedule Two, guilty of distribution. I took a conviction on that. And at 22, I got arrested for first-degree robbery. I was robbing stores. I was robbing people. I was robbing, wearing ski masks, acting like I had a gun. Had a high-speed police chase from Shreveport to Bossier. Helicopters in the air. Jumped out, ran on foot. That's what we're up here working on the book about. 22 years old, I'm laying on the floor in a jail cell. Can't make a telephone call. Been there two months. Nobody to bomb me out. No family to come to my aid. And even if I would have had somebody, the courts wouldn't have let me out. Forced me to do something. All of you moms that have ever enabled your children, listen to me now. Stop feeding the vicious cycle. Stop giving them money. Stop giving them a place to live. Let their butts hit rock bottom and face the consequences of their actions. 22 years old, I'm laying on the floor in a jail cell. First time I've ever been faced, ever had to face the music. I go to my arraignment, the judge says, if you don't make us take you to trial, we'll give you a blessing, give you, she didn't say bless, she said we'll do you a favor and only give you 20 years. 22 years old, where did life go? Yesterday I was just a, a boy that grew up in the country on a farm. Today I don't have no life and no future. I went in there and I laid down on that floor in the jail cell. And I said, I'd never be afraid to do this, never be ashamed to do it. And I've done it everywhere around the world. I laid down on the floor. And about three or four hours passed by, but it didn't seem like it was but just a few minutes. And can I tell you what I did? I didn't go in there and say, oh, God, I'm sorry I got called. I didn't go in there and say, oh, my, all oh, this. Oh. I went in there and I laid down and I was sick and tired of being everything that I had become. I was sick and tired of living a lie. I was sick and tired of manipulating. I was sick and tired of, I was just sick of it. And I laid on that floor and I said, God, I'm screaming. They're wanting to know what's going on. God, I'm a murderer. I'm gonna spend the rest of my life in prison. I'm 22 years old. I stole from my family. I robbed people. I beat people. I bought into a lie. God, save me. Not from jail. Save me from myself. I'm screaming, hollering. I don't know what in the world happened. I wish I could say heaven parted. God came down. But all I knew, Pastor Hank, when I got up off of that floor, something was different. I wasn't speaking in tongues. I didn't have a vision. I didn't know I was going to buy. I didn't know nothing. I'm still in jail and I'm still in the trouble. Three-time convicted felon. I don't have no hope. Nobody wants to help me. I walked, they had a church service. I, I went out of that church service and the preacher said, anybody got a testimony? I said, I just gave my life to Jesus right up there in cell 35 and I'm going to live the rest of my life for Jesus whether I'm in prison or whether I go home. And they was looking at me like y'all looking at me right now. They was like, What? I was just there for the rest of the service. I mean, hey, that's what happened. I don't know. That's how it happened. So I start reading this book. And I don't only start reading this book, I start devouring this book. And then I run across this story in Genesis 32. You know, and I'm not the brightest crayon in the box. Honestly, at that point, drugs had messed my mind up so much, I could barely even read. God taught me how to read in a prison cell with a King James Bible. I'm still not the best reader in the world, but let me tell you something. I can read everything in that book. I 
got a memory about them scriptures as long as and he shall bring unto your remembrance those things that I've said and my wife said you make me sick I said you're the one with a 4.0 yeah but I can't remember them scriptures like you I start reading this book and and you know I'm not the smartest guy in the world and I'm I'm reading this story okay and so I get to Genesis there's this guy his name's Jacob he gets his butt whipped he gets torn out the frame by an angel of the Lord gets his leg broke and he's left lying on the floor broken I mean so messed up when he gets up I mean he walks like he's got polio I mean that's how my mind sees it and then I can't I can't I can't understand this verse 24 I had you underline said he was left alone he was all by himself let me tell you someone nobody in that jail cell with me Bobby who was talking about I got your back he must have been way way back Bobby wasn't sending me no money orders. Homeboy wasn't coming to see me. She wasn't, I mean, wasn't nothing. I was by myself. And I was laying on that floor. And I was jacked up. I was broken. And I'm reading this story, Pastor Hank, and it says, but he overcome, but he prevailed. And I said, listen, I'm from the streets a little bit. Even though I grew up right, I tried to get in the streets and be a bad actor so I know about it. I ain't never seen nobody get knocked out and then get up and say I won <laughs> but that's what the scriptures say say he got tore up beat up broke down and then jumped up I won I overcome that ain't how I was going down in my high school if you got your butt whipped you had to walk like this matter of fact I don't even remember the kids walking in the halls they must just use sneaking class like emo with a little head cover so I cannot figure this out. I'm reading it, and all I got is a worldly experience. All I got straight raw, straight off the streets, unchurched. And so I'm reading this, and, and I'm saying, God, you got to help me. He prevailed. He prevailed. It's the first thing I want you to write down tonight. Jacob prevailed. I'm going to give you five points, five truths to Jacob's life, and I'm going to tell them to you real quick, and we're going to close this service. Jacob prevailed. But can I set up the context for you? Oh, thank you. Holy Spirit, thank you, anointing. Father God, I feel you and I sense you in this place even more so. God, thank you right now for giving me the opportunity to be here with this word under your power, under your anointing in this house for this time and for this season, for this person. God, thank you so much. Jacob is coming back home in case you don't know. Jacob, even by his name, means what? Trickster. In Hebrew, it's Jacob. It means heel grabber. One who catches his brother by the heel to trip him up. Manipulator, con man, trickster. All right, so, so I'm, I'm getting this. You know, I've kind of been going to a few Bible studies. I'm figuring this out. And so the scriptures say Jacob prevailed. But all I know is Jacob manipulated his brother first out of what huh the birthright and then he manipulated him out of the blessing and Jacob's so scared of Esau what's he do his mama sends him off to his uncle Laban well let me tell you something about playing the game young folks you see all y'all back there tell you something about playing the game the game gonna play you 
it's always somebody stronger it's always somebody tougher it's always somebody a little slicker it's always somebody with a little more money somebody with a little more friends you play the game long enough and the game's gonna play you I know you think you got it all figured oh they can't touch this I got that I got my swagger I'm on this they can't fool you can't fade me y'all won't see me yeah they gonna see you all right gonna be in stripes Round that orange out there picking up trash talking about that's a privilege I'm on I'm on road crew <laughs> Jacob is running from Esau because he done he done played him what he runs over to Laban Laban plays him oh wait a minute it's all in the game charge it to the game put it on my game express now don't hate the player hate the game hold on wait Jacob you was tricking back home you come here now, you done got tricked. Hold on, where you going, boy? He said, all I know is uh, the God of my father spoke to me. He played the church card. That's what Jacob told Laban. He said, the God of my fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob spoke to me. I got to go back to that land of Canaan. So he breaks, breaks clean from Laban, gets out by the skin of his teeth, and he's going back home. He said, Hank, I got to go face Esau. Last time I saw Esau, he was a hunter. Like we hunters, he had hair all over. He was a man of the field. Whoo, I'm a sissy. I'm a city boy. I stay inside the tents. I cook stew with my mama. And immediately, now all that's in there in the Bible, in case you don't know. I didn't just make that up. He gets ready to go back. And first thing that happens is Jacob shows up. His identity, the only character he's ever known, manipulated trickster shows up. And he says, come here, come here, come here. I ain't going to embarrass you, come here. He says, listen, this is his servant. And he said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to ride so far ahead of us and so fast. I want you to go to Esau, my brother. And I want you to tell my Lord, Esau, your servant Jacob has become rich. Tell him I've got goats, I've got camels, I've got sheep, I've got men servants, and I've got maid servants. Verse 5, he says, maybe I can gain favor in his sight. Verse 7, he says, for I am terrified and I am afraid. Don't tell me his, his, his intentions were righteous. They weren't. He was scared out of his mind. He sends his servant off to go appease his brother's wrath. And then he runs to the church and he says, God, you told me when I crossed over to Jordan, I just had my staff. But you done brought me back full and prosperous. And you promised me the land of my fathers. God, you got to watch over me. Sometimes a fake church experience ain't going to cut it. I know plenty of people done come sliding up here like Michael Jackson on their knees and go bust hell wide open when they walk out the church doors. First thing that happens, he reverts back to manipulation. I'm going to manipulate Esau into letting me back in. Maybe it's going to be to my salvation. He said, okay, well, whew, maybe I better go to church. Maybe I better call on God. He's still tripping. So then he says, come here. Come here. He still don't got no peace. You know when you ain't got no peace about something. When something's bothering you and you know it's still in, you say, I've tried everything I can try. I've tried every recipe. I've tried to fix it, and it still ain't right, and you ain't got no peace about it. He ain't have no peace. He said, come here. Come here, servant. Come here. 
He said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go get another servant. Come here. And I want you to get another servant. He said, I want you to get three successions. And I want you to put a space in between every one of y'all. I want you to get 200 goats, four camels, 20 milk cows. I want you to get 200 goats. I want you to. And he devises another strategy. And he says, I want you to go first. And when you come up to Esau and Esau says, my God, who's cattle and sheep and goats is all them. I want you to say, my Lord Esau, your servant Jacob has become rich. Maybe this will gain me favor in his sight. And he said, and after you do it, and he keeps riding, he's coming to get me. Because see, when they went and told Esau, he mounted up with his boys. He got 400 of his swordsmen. He said, I'm going to get that punk. Esau's riding, got his men. Okay. He said, my God, whose sheep is all these? Who's cattle and who horses? He said, my Lord Esau, your servant Jacob, he's trying to appease. He's trying to manipulate. You know when you've tried everything else. You say, well, I'm not going to drink this while I smoke that. Well, I'm not going to go around her in that situation. Well, I'm not going to say that when she... You know when you tried everything. I'm going to throw this microphone. You might as well go right out there and get you one of them books. 14 steps. You might as well. This is a strategy devised in the heart and in the mind of a man. This is a self-help program. There ain't no such thing as self-help. There's only help in a remedy for sin and the principle of death, burial, and resurrection. You can't bandage the old you up. God's not looking for an army and casting spleens. God's looking for a church without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. Point number one, he prevailed. Can I tell you? He didn't prevail with a self-help program. He didn't prevail with a strategy devised in his own heart and mind. Can I tell you how Jacob prevailed? The angel of the Lord said to Jacob, he said, what is your name? Jacob said, my name, Pastor Hank, what in the world are you worried about my name for? Bless me. I got to go meet my brother who I robbed and stole and tricked him. And Bless me. Man, the sun's coming up. We've been here all night. I don't have no more time for this. Bless me. The angel said, what is your name? He said, my name. What has my name got to do with anything? Bless me. He said, what is your name? He said, my name is Jacob. My name is Jacob. My name is murderer. My name is drug addict. My name is alcoholic. My name is liar. My name is manipulator. My name is trickster. My name is con man. My name. There's an old principle and the church has gotten away from it and God has no other remedy. It's called repentance. Jacob said, God, I trust in you enough to tell you who I really am. I'm Jacob. I'm Jacob. I'm Jacob. God said, no more shall you be called Jacob. Now 
you shall be called Israel, the prince who reigns with God. Jacob prevailed because he admitted who and what he was. The scriptures say that Jacob wrestled with the angel of the Lord, but Jacob said, for I have seen face to face with God. I have seen and my life was spared. Only God can give you your real identity. And this is what the voice of God is saying from heaven about anyone that's in Jesus. You are the light of this world world baby you are the salt of this earth you are a city set upon the hill you are the righteousness of almighty God in Christ Jesus you bless when you get your tail up you bless when you go out you bless when you come in you bless when you lie down you are always the lender and never the borrower that's what God said about you when was the last time you told yourself man I'm the righteousness of almighty God Jacob prevailed because he admitted who he was let me tell you something. When Jacob said, I am the deceiver, Jacob died that day. You need a principle. You need a scripture for that. Colossians 3 and 3. He said, you died. You died. And your life was hid with Christ in God. Death. Death through repentance. Death through dying to yourself, your own pride, your own egos. What's troubling you tonight? What's bothering you tonight? I ain't done. What's troubling you tonight? What's in your relationship you're not proud of? You don't have to worry about me or anybody else in here. We can turn every light out in this place. Let me tell you what God says about the dark. It's just like the light to Him. Whatever's hidden in your heart, He knows everything. You don't have to worry about me. What's troubling you tonight? Jacob prevailed because he admitted who and what he was. He died. He died. And he was buried in God his old man according to 2 Corinthians 5 and 17 if any man be in Christ the old is gone baby what they used to do with the ashes of the sacrifice from the temple they go down the Kidron Valley and cast them in the stream it would bring it into the Dead Sea far as the east is from the west he died he was buried he had admitted who he was God gave him a new identity he became an Israel he was called by a new name he saw God. God gave him a new identity. Only God can define who and what you really are. Can I tell you something about his encounter with God? When he left the altar, y'all thought it was funny. But he walked differently. He walked differently. He had an encounter with God that so affected his character do a character study of him from that point on and he has always proven upright righteous and true he had an encounter with God that changed the way he lived and walked he prevailed because he admitted who and what he was God gave him a new identity and it changed the way he walked and then here's my personal favorite and I'm going to close with my story the scriptures say in Genesis 32 and 31 the sun rose above him as he passed through Peniel he said this place is surely Peniel because I have seen God face to face and yet my life was spared there's two English words derived from the Hebrew word Peniel do you does anyone care to know what they are the first one is repentance Peniel 
repentance is found at the river of Peniel where you die to your old self you're buried in God and you're resurrected a new person that's true repentance godly sorrow that worketh repentance repentance under salvation not manipulation that's under salvation not conning and conniving that saves the skin off my teeth not any form of self-help or self uh, thought up programs this is the principle of God the second word that we derive from penile is penitentiary. The Quakers had the concept of a penitentiary and they said a man would be given a day's work, a bed to rest, and a Bible to read. Penitentiaries were given for a man to find penance for his crimes and sins. Two words come from penile, repentance and penitentiary. Can I tell you something? I've been through both. And I'm equally as proud. The Bible says that the sun rose over Jacob. Tonight, God, I prophesy the dawning of a new day for somebody. The sun came up. There was the dawning of a new day in Jacob's life. He limped as he passed through Peniel. And it says the craziest thing, that even to this very day, the Israelites, the Jews, do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip because of Jacob's experience with God. I'm talking about somebody that says, I believe at Church of the Harvest, tonight I can have an experience with God that affects not only the next generation, but the generations. That's what did it for me. I said, God, I want my life to always be used for you. My testimony to be used for the next generations. My senior pastor, the first job he ever offered me was an executive pastor's position, sitting in an office, figuring numbers and preaching in his absence. I said, God, I can't do that. I know you want my story to make an impact on these kids. Sir, I can't take that job. His experience with God affected the next generations the Jews still don't eat the tendon next to the hip when they sacrifice the lamb 2,000 years later because one man had an experience with God and it's still affecting Jews to this day I wish I could tell you when I got up off of that floor that everything began to change it didn't four months later my mother tried to get me in a drug rehab program that a big church in Shreveport sponsored. We were denied and turned down, told that I'd been in too much trouble. Things wasn't going to go my way. A friend that I had known from the world had become a janitor at the church. He was trying to live for God and get his life right. He was serving under great men of God. He was up there laboring, working for the kingdom. He sees an envelope strapped to a door, John Skipworth. Knocks on the door, goes in and says, Pastor Mike, is John Skipworth trying to get in our program? Pastor Mike says, yes, my God. Do you know him? He said, yeah. He said, where is he? He said, man, he's in jail. He's got three felonies. He's going to face a life sentence in prison. And his crazy mama is trying to get him in our drug program. And my friend said, I'm telling you, if you win this guy to the Lord, he'll make a difference for Jesus. He's going to do something for God's kingdom. And my buddy said, you know who he is, right? Pastor Mike says, yeah, I know. My friend goes and talks to the family. The family comes to Pastor Mike and says, Pastor Mike, is John Skipworth trying to get in your program? He said, yeah, he is. I'm not going to let him in. 
They said, you're out of the will of God. Pastor Mike said, excuse me? They said, you don't understand. Five years ago, he almost murdered my son. He threw my son in a ditch for dead and told one of his friends to cut his throat. We've been praying for him for five years. He's the first seed. Let him in the program. Easter Sunday morning, a pastor was setting up sunrise service and heard a man gurgling blood for his life. Went down there, pulled a boy out of the ditch, called the paramedics. The boy's father was a surgeon. He sold his own son's throat back together. Dr. Ron Bird in Shreveport, Louisiana. His son's Jim Patrick Bird. He works for Andrew Walmart Ministries. Five years to the day, I walked in Overcomers Training Center on Easter Sunday. A man met me at church about this tall with blonde hair. And the closer he got, I could start to see a scar on the side of his neck. And I got ready to shake his hand and he grabbed me. He said, John, I'm glad you're here. Me and my family's been praying for you for five years. God's going to do great things in your life. You hear me? We got your back. We're going to help you. I said, man, I'm so sorry. I don't understand this. What do you mean? He said, man, we want you here. We forgive you. I went through that program. I stayed there seven months. The sixth month I graduated, the seventh month they hired me, put me on staff. I made $100 a week. Opened the door for me to go to Bible college. Everything in my life was great. I walked in a courtroom one day and a judge says, I don't care what's happened for you, what experience you've had in your life. You're a three-time convicted felon and you ain't never paid the piper, buddy. And in nine days, you're going to prison. Nine days later, I walked back in that courtroom. I stood before that judge. I had my shoulders back, my head high. And my pastor said, you ain't going to prison to serve time. You're going to prison to serve God people in my church say you're gonna get to be the apostle paul baby i said i don't want to be the apostle paul i want to stay home and they said you're gonna get to preach and witness you're gonna lead revival my pastor said we're gonna support you as a missionary we're gonna put your butt through bible college we're gonna pull every string we can with the assembly you won't never have to worry about one dime of your tuition if you stay faithful to god he said you ain't going to jail to serve time time's gonna serve you you go be God's man. I walked in that courtroom. That judge said, you're the scum of the earth. You're a piece of dirt. You prayed on modern society. She said, but I reject the state's offer of 25 years. And I believe in justice. And I gave a young man seven years last week. And I walked out of that courtroom with seven years and five years for the murder charge. And I went to prison at 23 years old with 12 years in Louisiana State Penitentiary. And the greatest testimony I have is that I serve God every day for seven years in prison. I never backslid. I preached the gospel. I finished Bible college. I had more of a Bible degree when I came to my church than anybody on my staff except my senior pastor. I never backslid. I never got in one fist fight. I never gambled. I prayed for the sick in the hospital. The warden took me out to the churches and had me preach in civilization. As an inmate, we held Christmas parties in prison and fed inmates that didn't have no money and got my sentence changed from 12 years to 7 years. I walked out after 5 years and they sent me to West Monroe, Louisiana in a halfway house named City of Faith 
the family who bottled Coca-Cola and started Delta Airlines, the Biedenhorn family, the lady had a burden from God to provide men a faith-based environment to get back on their feet. I went through that program for 14 months, and on my 14th month, that lady looked at me and said, I've had 11,000 inmates come through here, and I've never done for one what I'm about to do for you. I can't change your sentence. The judge did that. She said, but you go down that halfway house, and you get everything you own. And I got you an apartment down the street that's yours. I'm letting you out of jail. Ain't but two people I know ever served their prison sentence living in their own house, and that's me and the Apostle Paul. Shane Warren hired me in West Monroe as an inmate, as a janitor. I rode a bicycle back and forth to work every day and I cleaned up behind ministry students and I fixed light bulbs and I changed ceiling tiles. Humility. He said, man, there's some guys going down to a drug rehab ministry. You think you could go tonight and preach? I went out there and preached like I was preaching for a Billy Graham crusade. The associate pastor came back and said, man, that kid can preach. You better do something with him. He said, we won't start a college ministry. Five months later, he had 200 people in a building on Friday night called Friday Night Ignite. I met the love of my life, my very best friend. First date I knew I was going to marry her. First date she knew she was going to marry me. Ten years later, I've never had a cigarette. I've never had a drug, not even a lower tap or a root canal. I've never taken one drink of alcohol. And I was sexually pure until I had sex with her. After. <laughs> Death, burial, and resurrection. Death, burial, and resurrection. You got to die to some things. And you got to trust God to bury them. And he will raise you a new creation. Can I tell you something, Josh? Would you come? My guitar player, did he leave? Yeah, there you go, sir. Give me something. Just, just something real. Whatever you usually do will work. Can I tell you something about Joseph's, Jacob's experience? This is going to blow you away. Over in Hosea chapter 12, it says that, that Jacob went to like a WWE wrestling match. And they were jumping off. The, no, I don't say that. As he begins to play, I want you all just to stand to your feet. Put your Bibles down. You got the five principles. He prevailed. He admitted who and what he was. God gave him a new identity. He never walked the same, and he affected future generations. <coughs> Can I tell you what Hosea says? Enable Jacob to have that experience. I'm just going to be honest with you. I can't give you that experience. Pastor Hank can't give you that experience. Pastor Rhonda can't give you that experience. Church of the Harvest can't give you that experience. Can I tell you? Who only can give you that experience? It's God. You know, there's, a, there's an old, old phrase in the Bible, and it says that they would take hold of the horns of the altar, and they would weep between the porch and the altar. You know, and I remember a time when, when we used to use the term, pray through. Eddie put it in the song. You should have been there when I prayed through. 
church was on fire and the Holy Ghost too. And I'm telling you, there's a generation of young people that are getting back to that. Tonight in West Monroe, our student ministry, an hour before service, without anyone telling them, there were kids in that building on their faces and having their faces turned to the wall like Hezekiah and they're weeping and wailing before the Lord crying out to God for change in areas of their life crying out for God to move in a service I don't tell you that to brag on me I tell you that to brag on the move and the spirit of God in this generation there's a generation of young people that are not concerned with smoke they're not concerned with lights they're not concerned with the television cameras and the, they just want something that's real and Hosea chapter 12 says this. Says that Jacob did have an experience with God. I'm going to just read it to you so, so you know that I'm not making this up. I don't think you would think that. But let me read it to you. Jacob's experience with God according to Hosea by revelation of the Holy Spirit. Chapter 12 verse 3 says this. says in the womb Jacob grasped his brother's heel even from his adolescence. He tripped people up. He was a manipulator and a con man. As a man, he struggled with God. He couldn't come to terms with who God was calling him to be because he was always overly concerned with who he wanted to be. Today, I was talking to Diana, and, and, and in one of the chapters of the book, we were talking about the, the old term, running from the call of God on your life. And Diana said to me, she said, you know, I think we use that term a little self-righteously. We say running from the call of God like we really knew God was calling us, and we were just saying to God, I'm not going to do your work. I've got something better to do. When the truth of the matter is, the bottom line is, our will is more important than his will. It's not that we just want to do our own thing. We're just selfish, greedy. I want to be in control. I want to be in charge. You can even play a little louder, bro. You're not going to bother me. Believe me, I can get loud. Just, 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 I, just want them, I just want them to not be concerned. Man, If I don't even know. Can you dim the lights, media man? Sir, back there, thank you. Very, just, you know, move. Get away from people. How about that? I know this is weird. Oh, well. Just move. Just spread out. Get away from people. Don't be worried about people. I just want to remind you of a scripture right quick just just so you'll be relaxed over in 2nd Corinthians chapter 5 verse 13 Paul said that if I'm of a sound mind in my church service you got to understand this for your benefit Paul said this he said if I'm of a sound mind 2nd Corinthians 5 13 go check me out if I'm of a sound mind if I speak words easy to understand then that's for your benefit he said but if I'm just a lunatic and I'm just a little crazy and I'm just a little out of my mind. It's in the Bible. He said, if I'm out of my mind, this ain't got nothing to do with you. This is between me and God. We've gotten to a place in church where we're so reserved and self-righteous and prim and proper. We don't know nothing about the, you know, I've studied revivals. I've studied the move of God. And I would see those little old ladies down there with the bobby pins. And they didn't, you know, and they had to wear the skirts and turtlenecks and their hair had to, and they would get down there and get in the, they didn't care. Bobby pins would go to flying, blouse turned sideways, and they had a hole to God. And they were down there praying for Billy to get off drugs and Walter to quit cheating on his wife. And then all of a sudden, six weeks later, Billy would walk in church. 
I don't know what happened the other night I was out there using drugs and I just am sick of it I want to repent and we wondered why the miracles and the manifestations and lives were changing because people weren't worried about 25 minutes two announcements and an offering they were worried about the presence this is what he said he said sure when he was a boy and in his mother's womb, he was tripping his brother up. And when he became a man, he started struggling with God. God was trying to have his way and tell him who he wanted him to be and what he wanted him to do. And Jacob was more concerned with doing what he wanted to do and being who he wanted to be. Verse 4 says this, And then he began to struggle with an angel one night. And he even, he even overcame the angel. But he wept and he begged for the Lord's favor and he found the Lord at Bethel he done tricked people he done ran from God he even struggled with angels and then all of a sudden he found God at Bethel in the house of God and he began to talk with him there the Lord Almighty the Lord is his name of renown and I said all that to say this Jacob's experience with men was not a good one. Jacob's experience with himself was not a good one. And Jacob's experience with angels was not a good one. It's not a, somebody's going to get this in a minute. Quit looking to man. Quit looking to yourself. Quit looking to angels. Look to God. And his experience with God was just a prayer session. You know... We used to say, well, we're going to enter into a season of prayer. And then it went down to a time of prayer. And then it went down to a, a, a minute of prayer. And now it's down all the way and you hear people say, we're going to have a word of prayer. I, I hate to tell you, I'm not limiting God. God can move any way he wants to move. But I'm just telling you, if you'll take hold to the horns of the altar tonight, and whatever you're struggling with in your life, if you'll lay that down at that altar and let that die and let God bury that, confess that, call that out before God, and then we're going to start prophesying over you what God is saying about you and about your circumstance. And when you hear the voice of the Lord and that word resonates in your spirit, you stink and take a hold of that. Just like Jacob took a hold of the fact that he was Israel. Just like I took a hold of the fact when I was standing in that courtroom that I was going to prison to preach the gospel. I never let go of that. I need you to take a hold of it tonight. Is anybody in this place that feels like you got something to die to tonight? Anybody in this place? Anybody in here got anything you need to die to? Come on, sweetie. Come find your place. Come on, sir. I knew God was dealing with you the whole service. I'm so proud of you because when, when we began this service, I'm going to start with you. You've got a hard exterior shell, and you're a tough guy, and you think you've got all the right answers, and you've got it figured out. And on the inside, your heart is, such, is so soft and pliable and sensitive to the things of God, and you want to be used for God. And God's saying to you tonight, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. God loves you. 
God said, I know the plans that I have for you. I think thoughts of good towards you and not evil to give you a future and to give you a hope. Never measured up. Never made status quo. Always felt insignificant and insufficient. God said, I pray that you would know my love past the point of knowing it with your mind that you would be filled with all the fullness of God Father tonight we lay hands on this man in the name of your son Jesus and by the grace and by the power of the Holy Spirit we prophesy the death of an old man and the resurrection of a new man. God, that tonight a new creation would be formed, created anew in Christ Jesus, designed and created for true righteousness and holiness. God, that every failure and every insecurity and every insufficiency would fall pale and it would fall dim in comparison to your love and the blood of your Son. God, I pray by the power of the Holy Ghost that his life be renewed and that it be changed tonight. In Jesus' name, I just want to encourage every one of you. That's it. You see what this man's doing right here? I want you to just find a place. Come on. I can't tell you when the altars are going to close. I can't tell you when this service is going to end. But I would encourage you to come find a place tonight. If you're in here and you're struggling with anything, if you're struggling with anything, listen, I'm going to tell every one of you, nobody in here is excluded. I'm not excluded. My wife's not excluded. Nobody in here is excluded from repentance. If you're struggling with anything, there's only one answer, baby. You got to die to it. You can't be afraid. You got to say, God, I don't want to be like him. God, I don't want to be like her. God, I want you to change me. Hallelujah. Pastor Hank, Pastor Rhonda, would you guys please come and join me, baby? Would you guys please come and, and join me as we pray for these dear and these precious people? You know, we came here tonight, young lady, just for you. You know that we came here for you tonight. Father, tonight in the name of Jesus, I just believe that as we lay hands on you, that there's going to be a transfer, that you're going to feel something, that you're going to know something's died and that something's changed. Come on, son, pray with her right here. Pray with me. Father, in the name of Jesus, we know that you brought us here for this very special lady tonight. And God, you know what she's struggling with. You know what's going on in her life and in her relationships. And God is saying to you tonight, it ends. It's over. It's ending tonight in Jesus' name. Just begin to cry out to him. Listen, just begin to cry out to God. Let God take a hold of you tonight and make a difference. Father, washer and renewer in the power of the Holy. Yes, come on. Yeah, come on.